Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church Podcast. We love to hear about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how Velocity has made a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. I want you to turn to the book of Zechariah is what we're going to take a look at. And if you're here and you have no idea where the book of Zechariah is at, can I just tell you thank you for being here today? We're so glad you're here. In fact, we didn't start this church for people who knew where the book of Zechariah is. We started this church for people who needed to know that God loved them and God cared about them. And so if you're here and you have a pulse and you're breathing, can I tell you, you belong here. This is the perfect place for you. You're exactly where God wants you to be. And I can already tell it's going to be a great, great Sunday. Well, book of Zechariah, if you don't know much about Zechariah, he was a prophet. All that means is that he was a messenger. He's kind of like a biblical UPS FedEx guy. He, uh, it means that God gave him some messages to deliver. They weren't his messages, didn't come from him. He was just the delivery person. And what we're going to look at, Zechariah has a vision. God's given him a message to give to somebody. And Zechariah's ministry, it, it took place during a period of time in Jewish history known as the exile. During the exile, the nation of Israel had been conquered and taken captive by the Babylonians. They were carried off, carried away, hundreds of miles away from their homeland. Their city, Jerusalem, their holy city had been destroyed. Their temple, place where they worshiped, made sacrifices, had been burned down. Needless to say, this was not a great time in their history. In fact, it was one of the lowest points in their history. What's interesting about this, though, even though it was a time that none of them would have preferred to go through, where they have no king, they have no leadership, no leader. It's the end of the Davidic dynasty. They're without a temple to worship. They're hundreds of miles away from the place of worship. Temple's been burnt down. The best and the brightest have been shipped off, carried away, living different places. Even though it's an extremely low point in their history, most scholars say that this is actually one of the most productive points in their history. Now that's encouraging to me because what it tells me is that even if you find yourself in a place today where you never intended to be, it seems like you're miles away from the dream that God has put in your heart, the place that God has called you to, the promised land. It seems like nothing is going right. It seems like this is possibly the lowest point in your history. That even though it's your lowest point, in Christ, it can actually serve as your greatest starting point. That's what Zechariah is about to find out in this vision that God gave him. He had this vision. An angel appears to him, begins speaking to him. And I want us to look at it together. It's in chapter 4, if you want to find it. It's a great reason to use the YouVersion Bible app because you can just type it in there. You don't have to turn the pages. But even if you can't find it, we're going to put the words on the screen so we can all follow along together. And I want to start in verse 6. And I'm really excited about this because I want to preach out of verse 7 primarily today. And I've preached out of verse 6 before. And I've preached out of verse 10 before. But I've never preached out of verse 7. And God has really been using this verse to encourage me to help me to build faith in me for the things that he wants to do in my life. So if you found it, if you haven't found it by now, there's no hope for you. <laughs> Zechariah 4, verse 6. God says to the prophet, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. 
Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. I want to say that again. Shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. I want to use this verse to get into our message today. I'm calling this sermon, if you're taking notes, Good Graces. Good Graces. Have you ever tried to get in somebody's good graces? Oh, we're going to talk about some good graces today. And I want to, this is really a prayer message. I want to teach you a way to pray and how to pray. I believe God is going to use this in your life in a powerful way. So it's only appropriate that we'd open with prayer. So I'd ask that you bow your head while I go to God in prayer. Lord, we thank you for today. And God, I believe you have a word that you want to speak to each person here. God, use me today as your mouthpiece. Let your word go forth. Personalize it, individualize it to each person here. God, I believe only you can do that. And I believe you will. We thank you for that. And everybody who agrees with that can say, amen. Hey, how many of you have ever been misunderstood? Anybody? Like a lot of you have not been misunderstood. I want to know what your secret is. I speak for a living. It happens. I get misunderstood. Sometimes people think I make inappropriate jokes. I'm just misunderstood. Uh, there's lots of reasons why we get misunderstood. Uh, you know, sometimes it's what we say. We don't use the right words. Sometimes it's our body language. Uh, you know, sometimes our actions can communicate something different than what's in our heart. Just like some of you right now, just sitting there with your arms crossed. Just, yep, see, exactly. I'm talking to you. I know it's cold in here, but that, I'm just, just misunderstood. And uh, that there's lots of reasons why we get misunderstood. But uh, and probably in my family, more than any other person, the person who gets misunderstood is my youngest son, Grant. And it's simply because we literally cannot understand him half the time. Um, he's at that age, he's, he's six years old. He's at that age where his vocabulary is expanding, uh, but his enunciation and pronunciation has not caught up to his vocabulary. You know what I mean? And so he, he's learning all these words and got all these big words, but uh, he lots of times I can't understand what the kid's saying. And it's funny because I, I actually love it. I think it's cute. Uh, Marissa was telling me the other day, like, you need to correct him. Make sure he says things the right way. And I'm like, yeah, but it's cute. And he's my, you know, youngest son. It's the last son I'm going to have this age. Just let me, you know, pinch his cheeks a little bit longer. Uh, he's got all his life to learn how to speak correctly, but he's only six once. And anyway, he's, he's in school now, so he's, He's learning to say things better, and he's learning to read. He's learning phonics. That has helped a lot, made a big difference. And in fact, the other day, uh, I picked him up from school, and he's all excited. And he said, Dad, you know, uh, do you want to know all the sight words that I know now? Because he's learning to read. I said, yeah, sure. Tell me all the, all the sight words that you know. He's like, right, well, there's I and A and can go me to C, and he's like going on and on. I'm like, wow, that's great. It's like, and C, and two, and duh. And I was like, what? <laughs> what are you, <laughs> you say duh? It's like, yeah, duh. 
I said, what, tell me what words. He's like, I and A and can and see and to and me and go and duh. I said, duh, like no duh, like duh. What are they teaching you in school? I said, do you mean do? It's like, no, duh. And I was like, duh. I said, use it in a sentence for me. It's like, like I see duh tree, duh. <laughs> so anyways, we got a long way to go um, in his pronunciation. But it reminded me of this verse, not just because there's some hard words to say, like Zerubbabel. That, that, that one does not roll off the tongue. In fact, let's all just try saying that together. Zerubbabel. Yeah, that's, you guys did great. You don't need to go to school. You got this. But uh, it's not just because there, there's hard words. It's because the, the point I'm making is sometimes it's hard to articulate what you can see to others. That, that's what I'm trying to say. See, Zerubbabel, I recognize you probably don't know much about him. He was a leader that God used in Israel's history to bring people back to the promised land and rebuild God's temple. He had this dream in his heart that he wanted other people to see. And in fact, for a decade, by the time Zechariah is giving this message to him, he's brought back 42,000 people with him from Babylon back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. I don't want to say one thing about this because, you know, one thing Zerubbabel knew that all of us need to know is that when you're trying to build something, whatever it is that you want to build, whether you want to build a relationship, whether you want to build a marriage, whether you want to build a business, you want to build a career, whether you want to build a family, whatever it is that you want to build, before you try and build anything, you got to start by building God's house. That's what Zerubbabel knew. He could have came back and said, hey guys, let's build my house. Hey guys, let's build the wall. Hey, let's build the city center. Let's build the city square. No, but he said, before we build anything, we got to start by building God's house. That's the foundation. Because when you build God's house, he builds your house. But for almost a decade at this point, he's been rallying these people, trying to get them to see this dream in his heart, trying to articulate it to him, but they can't quite see it because for over a decade, there's been no progress. He wants to build God's house, but people can't see it. He wants to build God's house, but nothing seems to be working. He wants to build God's house, but at every turn, at every avenue, he's met with obstacles, difficulty, hardship. He gets there and there's people already there. They don't want to be part of this rebuilding project. They're not interested. They're masking their hostility with friendliness, secretly trying to sabotage his efforts and endeavors. The people who sent him, well, they pull back their support. So he's in this place. The people who are there don't want him there. The people who sent him don't want to support him. He's all alone in this endeavor. Have you ever been there? I, I don't know if you felt this way, but at, at the point that this word comes to Zerubbabel, it's like, God, I thought you were a part of this. I thought you wanted this. Stepped out in faith, believing that you were going to do something big here. I, I stepped out in faith, believing that I was following you. But there's no progress. No, nobody 
is seeing it like I see it. And I don't know if you've ever led a team, organization, led anything before, but it's hard enough to lead people and keep, keep people aligned and focused on the vision when you're being successful. I mean, it's hard enough to keep people focused on the main thing and not get distracted with their own selfish ambitions or relational dysfunction when you're winning. But for 10 years and there's no progress, nobody can see it, it's hard. So I'm saying, God, I, I don't know what to do. I, I, th I thought I was following you, but it just doesn't seem like this is working. And I don't know if you felt that way, but that's exactly where Zerubbabel was. When God spoke to him through the prophet Zechariah and said, I have a message for you. I have something that I want you to know. And what's interesting about this message is that he didn't tell him to do something new. He didn't say, hey, I've been watching what you're doing, you're doing it all wrong, that's the problem. You need, you need, you need to do something different. Hey, you know what? That's not really effective. That's not working. I need you to go do this different thing. You know, stop that. Scrap everything you've done. It was a waste of your time. Don't do that anymore. I want you to come over here. He didn't tell him to do some new thing. What he did is he said, I want you to do what you're doing. Rebuild the temple. Rebuild my house. I want you to continue with this endeavor. I just want to give you a new approach. I want to give you a way that you can pray. I want to give you something to say. I want you to say grace over this. I almost called this message, would you say grace? Because it's a prayer message. Except that's, that wouldn't be right. Because he doesn't say, say grace, does he? he? He says, I want you to shout grace, grace. It's a difference. It says, shout grace, grace over this. In fact, I need us all to participate together. And since this is the 11 o'clock rowdy crowd, I know you're going to do a great job with this. <laughs> I need you to practice shouting grace, grace with me. So on the count of three, I want us all to shout this together. Ready? One, two, three. Grace, grace. Man, you guys are good. I'm not even going to make you say that again. That was amazing. Grace, grace. I, I want you to shout these words, he says. Grace, grace. And I want to spend the remainder of my time helping you understand what these two words mean. Grace, grace. Because the word grace, well, it's in the Bible over 130 times, depending on translation you're looking at. In fact, the word grace is used in 16, well, 16 of the 21 epistles in the New Testament begin with this greeting, grace unto you. Apparently, this is a very significant word. And so when the prophet goes to Zerubbabel and he says, hey, I want you to say with shouts, grace, grace. He's reminding Zerubbabel that the way this started was grace. And the way it's going to be completed is grace. And as we launch out into this next season as a church, with every endeavor that God has for us, as we continue to reach, continue to strive, continue to push, continue to stretch, continue to move, with every endeavor that God brings our way, 
I can't think of a better way to end it than to remind us to approach each endeavor with shouts of grace, grace. It took grace to start it. It's going to take grace to sustain it. It's going to take grace to see it through. Grace, grace. And the first thing I want to help you understand about these words, grace, grace, I have two points for you today. One for each grace is that when you say grace, grace, the first thing you need to know is that nothing is too big for God. Now, I know that's simple, but I need you to get this. Nothing is too big for God. In the moment when Zerubbabel felt the weakest, God came to him with a word from Zechariah to remind him that nothing is too big for God. In fact, this is what he said. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. In other words, you've been trying in your own effort. You've been trying in your own ability. You've been trying in your own strength. You've been, you've been trying with what you can do. But you need some other power that's available, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what you need. Now, there's nothing wrong with your efforts, your ability, your strength. That's good. You can make some progress. You can make some headway with your efforts. But there's a greater power. And if God has called you to do something, you cannot complete it with your strength and your effort alone. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. In fact, it kind of reminds me of this one time. I had this hideous bush in my front yard. Now, I tell you it was hideous. The truth is it didn't really bother me. It bothered my wife. But if there's one thing that you need to know about me, is that these hands were not made for yard work. <laughs> there's a reason why I went into the ministry. Nevertheless, my wife said to me, that bush is ugly. You need to get out there, yard boy, and do something about it. <laughs> so I took a shovel took some hedge clippers. I don't even know why I own these things. Somebody must have given them to me. And I start digging away, hacking away, trimming away at this bush. The minutes turn into hours. Hours turn into days. Days turn into weeks. I don't know how long I was out there. It was horrible. There was no progress. I tried. I used every bit of might and every bit of power that I had but it was of no use. Till one day my in-laws came to visit, my father-in-law came and says, hey, looks like you're trying to get that bush out of the front of your yard. I said, hey, what gave that away? Was it the shovel and the hedge clippers that were laying there? The wheelbarrow that's been in front of our house for three weeks, what gave it away? He says, hey, I've got my truck, I've got a chain. How about I just hook this thing up? Let's see if we can pull it out. Now, I am not making an association that my father-in-law is like the Holy Spirit. Let me make that clear. <laughs> but I do want to tell you that with one press of the foot on the gas pedal, he yanked that thing out like it was nothing. And what I was trying to do in my efforts, in a moment with a power greater than what I could do in my efforts, that obstacle was removed. See, that, that's the point is that, is that you can make, you can try your best all day long, but when you tap into the Spirit of God, there, there is a strength beyond what you can muster on your own. The next verse goes on to speak to this. He says, 
Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. One translation says, nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It'll become a level plain before him. See, when, when Zechariah had this vision, he sees Zerubbabel endeavoring in this work. He sees Zerubbabel trying to build God's house. But the moment he's trying to build God's house, there's this mountain that rises up before him. It's hard to build a house on a mountain. You need a level plane. And the truth is, our, the mountains represent our problems. Mountains represent our obstacles. Mountains represent whatever stands in the way between you and the dream that God has put in your heart. And so the moment he sees this mountain pop up, I like this. He says, who's this mountain? Who are you? He's like talking back to it a little bit. Like, who are you, mountain? Well, what's your name? Who, who are you? He begins talking to it. Mountain shows up in his life. He doesn't get intimidated to it by it. He starts talking to it. That's a big difference than the way you and I approach our problems, approach our mountains. See, most of us, we don't talk to our mountains. We talk about our mountains. Well, we talk about our problems. Oh, man, you would not believe the week I've had. And I'm so stressed out over this thing. Man, this thing has gotten me freaked out. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I, I thought like I was making progress. I, I, I thought I could do it. But now that this thing, man, this came up, there's no way. Hey, what would you do in this situation? Tell me. Like we start talking about the problem. And I know maybe you think it's strange that I would tell you to start speaking to your problems. But I want you to know it's not strange, it's scriptural. It's not strange to speak to your problem. It's scriptural to speak to your problem. Think about it this way. Jesus, right, he was on the boat. The, the, the winds and the waves, they came. They were rocking the boat. There was a storm. And what did he do? He spoke to it. He said, peace, be still. And it happened. I know some of you are like, yeah, well, that's Jesus. You ain't Jesus, I ain't Jesus. Good for Jesus, but that's not me. Okay, how about David? Now, David didn't have a mountain, but he had a giant. There was this giant Philistine army that was oppressing the Israelites. Every day he'd come out, hurl curses at, at them, insult them. Everybody was scared. They were talking about, what are we going to do? Who's going to fight him? David comes out and he says, who's this Philistine? The same God that delivered me from the hand of the lion, the mouth of the bear, is going to deliver this Philistine into my hand. He goes out to Goliath. He says, who are you? I come at you in the name of the Lord. He starts talking to the giant. There was another guy in the Old Testament, Ezekiel. He was in this valley of dry bones. God said, prophesy to the bones. Command them to live. He started speaking to the bones. Speaking to the problem. Many times, though, we, we start speaking about our problems. But I want to encourage you, start speaking to the problems. And 
I know some are like, I don't even know what I would say to this problem. I don't know what I would, like, what kind of conversation? That's why I love this verse. Just need two words. Grace, grace. Shouts of grace, grace. So when your teenager starts acting a fool, grace, grace. Lay hands on them, and then grace, grace. When, when your job seems thankless, like it's going nowhere, grace, grace. When you're freaked out by that doctor's report, grace, grace. When you're freaked out by that bill that came from the doctor's visit, grace, grace. Just start talking to your problem with shouts of grace, grace. And I don't know what the mountain is in your life, but for Zerubbabel, it, it was this. It was this mountain that came up when he was trying to build God's house and God gave him this vision. He gave him this message. He gave him this picture that said, when you shout these words, grace, grace, that mountain would become a level plain. Because in Christ, every obstacle is really just an opportunity for God to demonstrate his power. Every difficulty is really just for God to display his glory. Everything that seems to be a problem really just serves to become a platform for God to be exalted. So I don't know what the mountain is in your life, but you just have to believe that when it shows up, it's gonna be leveled so that God can do what he wants to do. And this has everything to do with our words. Jesus said this. He said, truly I tell you, if anyone says this mountain, go throw yourselves into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen and will be done for them. Now, I have never seen anybody move a mountain from here to here. Never in the Bible. I've never seen somebody say to a physical mountain, move from here to here. It's not in the Bible. But I can tell you, I've seen many times where people have moved a mountain from here to here, from, from, from their windshield to their rearview mirror, based on their trust and faith in God. See, it, it's by the faith in your heart and it's by what you say. Scripture says it's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And so God says to him, he says, I want you to get the capstone and shout at it, Grace, grace. Now, the capstone is interesting because capstone was like the final installment. It's the last thing to go into the building. It was like the ribbon-cutting ceremony in, in, in something. You know, it's like you, you cut the ribbon, everybody cheers. Yay, it's done. That's what the capstone was. The reason it's interesting is because this was nowhere near being completed. They've barely got the foundation laid. And God says, I want you to bring out the capstone like this thing is done and shout grace, grace. He goes on to talk about this in the next verse. He says, for the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. And I want to tell you one more thing. His hands will also finish it. You know what that tells me? It is that, see, here's what you got to know. We're talking about Zerubbabel and the way he relates to us. But the truth is Zerubbabel was an ancestor of Jesus. What that means is that this is prophetically foreshadowing what Jesus does in your life. Jesus said this. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, what's the church? You're the church, not the building, not the location. You're the church. Paul said in the New Testament that we're God's fellow workers. We're working with God. But he goes on to say, we are God's building. See, Jesus is building your life. And so if you feel like you're a hot mess and you're not done yet, guess what? Good news, you're not done yet. 
God is still building your life. The writer of Hebrews said, we should fix our eyes upon Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. So God is at work in your life. He's building your life. And as, as we do that, as we focus on Jesus, he says, I want you to think of it like this capstone. Bring it out, see it like it's done. So interesting that we bring out the capstone when this thing isn't done yet. In fact, I did a little research on this, uh, on this passage. You can read about it in Ezra, where it talks about all this happening. In, in Ezra, it says that people would come out and they would look at this being built and they would begin to weep. They begin to weep. Now that's strange. So I said, why were they weeping? Well, one person said it was because they were overcome with joy. They were so excited to see the work begin. But most scholars said this, that the reason people begin to weep is because it looks so pitiful. It looks so small. It seems so insignificant. People remembered how the old temple looked. They remembered the stories, how it was described. And what they saw, it did not bring about a lot of faith. What they saw did not look promising. What they saw seemed so insignificant, so small, so pathetic. And that's why you need to remember the second thing about grace. It's not just grace, nothing's too big for God. It's grace, grace. Nothing's too small for God either. Nothing's too small for God either. In fact, the very next verse speaks to this. He says, for who has despised the day of small things? <laughs> I'm me. I've despised the day of small things. So has everybody else in this room. But we look at the way things start and we despise it. This isn't how I want it to go. I've got this dream in my heart of how it should be and it seems like it's so small. Even though we know every harvest starts with a seed, the easiest thing to do when a dream is in seed form is to despise it, is to hate on it. Just think, man, this isn't what I signed up for. What's the use in this? What, what good is this? What's the point of this? I'm never gonna see the results I wanna see with this. And because a lot of our dreams that was start in seed form. Our dreams get aborted while they're still in seed form because they're so small. But can I tell you, God isn't intimidated by small starts. In fact, he rejoices the moment you pick up the hammer and you say, I'm gonna get to work. Before you've swung the hammer one time, God gets excited about that. He, he rejoices to see you pick up the pen and paper and say, I'm going to start a budget. Before you've paid off any debt, before you've ever saved any money, just with the pen in your hand, God gets excited about that. God gets excited when you open up the gym membership. God, God gets excited when you write the business plan. God, God gets excited when you go on the day. I'm just saying you got to give God something to work with. God gets excited with the small star. It actually says he rejoices to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. You know what a plumb line is? Plumb line is this string. It's got a weight at the end. And the point of that is that you can tell whether something is straight or not. How, how can you tell? Well, because gravity doesn't lie. Hips don't lie, gravity doesn't lie. Those two things don't lie. 
But so he says, I rejoice to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. So he walks about, he's making sure everything is laid straight. This tells me two things. First of all, it tells me that if you don't start right, you won't finish well. Integrity matters. But the second thing is, is that no detail is too small for God. He, he cares about all of that. It's not insignificant. It's not too small. Every detail matters. And see, I like this kind of preaching because it reminds me of how we started. When we started this church, we had a big dream and a small start. We had three people show up to our first meeting and they came because we had free queso. But it was a small start. And a lot of times we want God to do something significant in our life out of nothing. But you know, God has only done that one time that I can find in the Bible, out of nothing. He created the world. But every other time after that, when he wanted to bring forth fish, he spoke to the sea. He said, bring forth some fish. When he wanted to create man, he said, let us make man in our image. And then he put his hands in the ground and formed man. When he wanted to make woman, what did he do? He took the rib out of man. He always used something that he made instead of just speaking it out of nothing. So a lot of times we think that what we're doing doesn't matter, but God always uses the small thing. It's not too insignificant. And so for the dreams that God has for your life and in mine, I'm telling you, there's some things in my life that seem too big and sometimes my efforts seem too small, but I've resolved to say this prayer. Grace, 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 grace over this church. Grace, grace over these families. Grace, grace over this city. Grace, grace over that obstacle. Grace, grace over every difficulty, over every problem, over every hardship, over every addiction, over every family, over every marriage, over every child, over future buildings, over future campuses, Grace, grace over your school. Grace, grace over our teams. Grace, grace. Shout God's grace in your life.